So I'm going to start out this sermon in the way when I went to seminary years ago, in, in a way that I was told I should never do. It's with a quote. It's a quote that is familiar to many of you by C.S. Lewis, where he talks about there are no ordinary people. He says, you've never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. And he goes on in this quote to say, people are either becoming, uses the word, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. In other words, everybody here this morning, everybody that you'll meet later on today or in the coming weeks, they're either growing into something very ugly, something very beautiful. He says, interactions that exist between people means that we're called to take each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. Something that I think we can all agree in our world today is something that we need to consider. C.S. Lewis is reminding us that there are no ordinary people and therefore there are no ordinary encounters among us as human beings. So I need to be reminded that when I see you in the community, that when I say hello to you, there's, there's much more to you than I see. So for Christians here this morning, what does that mean when we think about Jesus Christ? Because of, I recognize that He's not with us physically but we have a relationship with him. We believe that he's fully God, yes, but he's also fully man. Does beg the question, and this is the question that I want you to consider before we read our passage, because it's the question that we are going to consider uh, throughout the sermon. What do you think about when you think about Jesus? Where do you go in your mind... In your words, where do you go after you think about the person and work of Jesus Christ? Because I, I think we're going to work through this text, and it has tremendous practical implications for how you live. And that's what I want us to consider when we read our passage printed for you in your bulletins in John chapter 11. So if you would turn there, join with me as I read this last part of chapter 11, beginning in verse 45. <clears throat> this is God's Word. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did... By the way, this is taking place right after our, our sermon last week, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Many of the Jews, therefore, had come with Mary and they'd seen what he did. They believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. 
If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do know that you are with us and Christ is with us through your spirit. And this word is not just the word of men, but it's the word of God and it has power. And I pray that your power would overwhelm us today to give us exactly what we need. Father, that we would see more of Jesus, that we would understand who he is, what he's come to do, and Father, would that penetrate deep in our hearts and give us hope? In Jesus' name, amen. So our passage this morning, it's, it's pretty simple. I'm just going to go through just a few things that are going on with these several groups of people. We're going to take it in context. We're going to remind ourselves of all the things that Jesus had done before this time. And then we're going to finish and we're going to draw out some practical, practical applications for you to go home and think about. That's it. And our passage begins, as I said earlier, right after Jesus raises Lazarus, Lazarus from the grave. And that's, that's a big deal. There's a dead man who everybody knew was dead. And Jesus, by the word of his power, speaks his name, and, and, and Lazarus is now alive. And we read in our passage in verse 45, because of this, many of the Jews who had seen what Jesus did, they believed in Jesus. In other words, they trusted Jesus. They put their faith in Jesus. And then the passage goes on and it says, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. In other words, they didn't believe. And it's really important for us to understand this. It's not that they didn't believe that Lazarus, who was dead, is now living. Everybody knew that to be the case. Even the Pharisees, the leaders, those in power, they say, what are we to do? This man, Jesus, performs many signs. See, in other words, they saw the sign. There's no confusion about what happened. There was a dead man and he was really dead. And now he's walking around amidst them. It's not that they didn't believe in the sign. It's not that they didn't believe that Lazarus was raised from the grave. 
They didn't believe in who did it and why he did it. You see, it's important for us to realize this. Nobody's questioning what Jesus is doing. Everybody agrees that Jesus just raised this guy from the dead. And it may be a little bit different for us today, right? You, you can choose to believe whether or not Jesus did this. That's, you're free to do that. But I also need you to understand that's not what's going on in this passage. Everyone saw the signs. They just didn't see what they pointed to. And that makes all the difference in the world. I mean, you think about the whole Gospel of John. There's no question what Jesus had been doing. In John chapter 2, Jesus turns water in the wine, and the people knew it. In John chapter 4, there's a royal official, but I want to think of him just as a father. He's a father. His child is sick, and Jesus heals that boy. In in John chapter 5, there's a man who can't walk, and Jesus heals him. In John chapter 6, he takes a little bit of bread and he feeds 5,000 people. And right after he feeds 5,000 people, he walks on water. In John chapter 9, if you remember the sermons on John chapter 9, the whole chapter is an investigation into the question of whether or not this man who was born blind, did Jesus heal him? Can he see? And the answer unequivocally is yes. Then, of course, in chapter 11, we see Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So the question is not, what has Jesus been doing? The question is, why? Why is he doing these things? What's what's going to be the impact of what Jesus is doing? That's the question. So if you're an unbeliever here this morning, and and I'm going to make the assumption that I think every, every Sunday morning when we have 500 or more people in here, There are some unbelievers. So if you're an unbeliever here this morning, I do want to say that it is probably doubtful, or at least the meaning of whether or not you believe Jesus died and was raised from the the dead, that really will take no significance in your life until you come to grips with why he did it. And then if you're a believer here this morning, if you're not constantly grappling with why Jesus does what he does, then I think it can be said that we're probably not experiencing all that we desire and we're created to enjoy in the Christian life. So let's, let's take a little bit of time here and consider why Jesus is doing what he's doing. And I I do want to say this. I think part of the reason that Jesus does all these things in John is because he cares. Right? Weddings should be a joyful event. That's the purpose of the wine. It's not that wine is good in and of itself, but wine brings joy and it's a celebration. So Jesus changes water in the wine partly because he cares and he wants us to be joyful. He knows that parents love their children. In fact, he loves children. People are supposed to walk. That's why we were created with legs. We need bread and food. 
eyes were made for seeing. And, and he doesn't like death any more than we do. In fact, he knows about it more than we do. And he doesn't like it. But I do have to say that these things, that's only part of the reason. If you stop there, then you're going to miss something, are you not? Because isn't it true? There are some people that have eyes and still can't see, ears and still can't hear. What does that mean if that's all it means? The purpose, let's look at it this way. The purpose of a stop sign is not to say, oh, what a pretty nice red sign. I sure do like that sign. And if you don't realize what that sign is for, then your chances for an accident greatly increase. Is that not right? Signs are made to point to something beyond themselves. And the miracles of Jesus... John calls them signs because they point to something more than what's on the surface. I understand we can't see Jesus, and I want to be clear that Jesus is not a sign. But I do want to ask the question like this, the question for you to truly consider this morning. What do you think about when you think about Jesus? Where do you go with that thought of Jesus? Because whether, whether you're a Christian or not, The way you answer this question will will put you on a certain trajectory in your life. And you will either miss something or you will continue on and not fully understand all the things that are going on. What do you think about when you think of Jesus? Listen, think about this practically. What do you think about when you think about Jesus? Do you just go to Jesus and stop thinking? Nobody stops thinking. I mean, sometimes it appears that way. But people don't just stop thinking. You go somewhere, and where you go impacts everything else. What you do with Jesus after you think about him, it impacts your whole life. And the beauty of this is the rest of the passage, we see what certain groups of people do when they think of Jesus. Look at the religious leaders, the the Pharisees, the chief priests. What do they do? What is the first thing that you notice when they hear the name and they think about Jesus? I'm going to tell you what I think they're doing. They're afraid. Look at verses 47 and 48. What are we to do? If he keeps doing these things, everyone will believe in him. And if that happens, the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. In other words, if Jesus keeps doing the things that he's doing, the religious leaders, they might lose their place. You know what their place is? It's a temple. You know what the temple is? It's the dwelling place of God. It's where they met with God. It's what gave them meaning. Their nation. It's their way of life. And they're saying, if Jesus keeps doing these things, we might lose everything that we think is important. Our way of life, our, 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 our place. Look, you, you do need to understand this, that the Pharisees, the chief priests, the Sadducees, yes, they were under Roman authority, but they had carved out in their little world a little place of security. They had a little bit of power. They had a little bit of control, and they were very comfortable where they were. And what they're saying is if Jesus keeps doing these things, 
he might upset our apple cart. And you know what's funny about this? It's true. If Jesus keeps doing the things that he does, the Romans right, might get upset. Not because Jesus is doing these things, but the way everybody's responding to what Jesus is doing. So when, when people get afraid that they're going to lose something of importance to them, what do they do? They make a plan. You know what the plan was? The sanitized version is... We're just going to get rid of Jesus, just move him to the side. The truth of the matter is, verse 53, from that day on, they made plans to kill him. And we'll talk in detail about the plan in a minute, but the point for now is when the Pharisees, when the religious leaders, the chief priests, when they think of Jesus, they think of someone who's going to get in the way of their own plans and their own ideas about God and their way of life. Jesus might just turn everything upside down. And the fact of the matter is, they're right. Look at the other response in our passage. Look down to verse 55. We're going to call these guys, these people, casual observers, onlookers. Verse 55, the Passover was at hand. Many went up to Jerusalem to purify themselves. These are, these are pretty good folks. They live amongst the Gentiles. They want to be religious. And if they're going to participate in this religious activity, this Passover, they're going to need to be cleansed. They're going to need to get ready to go into the temple to meet with God. And what happens is in between their cleansing rituals, they even think about Jesus too. They're even looking for Jesus Verse 56, they were looking for him, and then they were asking questions. They were asking questions, what do you think? You think he'll come to the feast or not? It sounds benign, but realize it's all in the context of 57. The chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone saw Jesus, they needed to let him know so they could arrest him. You see, they're not plotting to kill Jesus, but they're in the mix. Here's what they saw with Jesus. Think think about the conversation. Jesus is interesting, isn't he? Hey, I even saw Lazarus the other day. He was walking around, and it was real clear that, that he was buried. He was dead, and now he's walking around. And the Pharisees want to kill him. Pharisees want to get rid of Jesus. Now, look, we're not bad like that. But we do need to stay on the sideline. We don't need to get in the mix because we got some really important things to do. We got to get ready to meet God. We got to purify ourselves. The point is this it's pretty clear to both of these groups of people that Jesus is doing some pretty amazing stuff, that Jesus is unique. But in this pretty amazing stuff and in this uniqueness, he's either a nuisance. Or he's just another thing to think about along with everything else. Either way, they both miss the whole point about Jesus. And of course they don't believe. Why don't they believe? Because they see Jesus. Listen, the reason they don't believe is they see Jesus, but they're so caught up, they're so caught up in themselves, their own plans for their lives, so busy getting themselves even right for God that they never can consider that everything that they are looking for can be found not simply in seeing Jesus, but seeing more of Jesus. They see Jesus, and when they see Jesus, they end up turning back and only thinking of themselves. 
It's really important for us to consider this morning because they are worried about some pretty important things, right? They're worried about their place, the temple. That's an important place, and it's really important. They're worried about their people. The people are important. They're worried about how they get into the temple. That's really important. But here's the deal. They're worried about their temple. They're worried about their people. They're worried about what they have to do to get into the temple. And they just don't get that Jesus is both those things. Not only was Jesus the temple, but he was the way in. Jesus is both the way to God and God himself. And they see Jesus and they don't get it. I'd like to say it like this, that you have one group. Now listen, you have one group. And they had their own ideas about Jesus. And they make a plan. There's another group. They simply wondered about Jesus. But they went along with the plan. Neither one of these groups moved deeper into what they could have had in Jesus. Do you hear that? They saw Jesus. They had an idea about Jesus. They wondered about Jesus. They just never would move into what they could have had in Jesus. And what's so amazing about this is they even had the right plan. Caiaphas had the right plan. Verse 49. Do you know nothing at all? This is really full of irony because Caiaphas, the one that has the plan, doesn't know anything at all. Do you, not, you know nothing at all? Don't you understand that it's better if one man should die for the people than the whole nation perish? Then John adds this editorial comment. He prophesied that John, Jesus would die for the nation, not for the nation alone, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. This is just an aside. But it turns out that even the evil intentions of man is part of the perfect plan of God. Put that in your cap, and you need to think about that later. Let's be clear, this idea, this plan of Caiaphas, it's not something new. It's not that Caiaphas comes up with this on his own. The whole idea, this is all about substitution. The whole idea of substitution begins in Genesis and weaves its way throughout the old the, the whole Old Testament. This is nothing new. He's just using it to further his plan. And the, the problem that this idea was created to address is that man alone can't fix his problems. Man alone can't fix the problems that he has with himself in the world. So the message of the Bible is that God the Father is going to have to send a Messiah, his son. That's why John starts out with the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what we see here is that both groups of people, they are trying to do themselves what only God can do. They are looking at Jesus, but they can't see Jesus because as soon as they see Jesus, they turn their thoughts back in on themselves and they never consider Christ again. Let me draw it all together here. If we don't understand that Jesus comes to do what we cannot do, then it's probably good that we are afraid. Because it is true. If we don't recognize that only God can do what we need to be done, 
then he's probably going to mess with our plans because our plans will not work. It's a sign of his mercy that he messes up our plans. If we think we can get ready to meet with God on our own, if we, if we think we can come up with the right plan to, 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 to meet all our needs, we might even do some very religious things. We might even talk a lot about Jesus. But in the end, you know what we both do? We just discard Jesus. We move him to the back. And I, I do want to say, um, some of you may be saying, I don't do that. I do. I would imagine you do too. Let me, let me use some of the things that we've already talked about that Jesus does to show you how we do exactly what these Pharisees are doing and what these casual onlookers are doing. You want, you want to know why we're not, turn, uh, we're not seeing Jesus turn water into wine? By the way, I'm not talking about wine. I'm talking about joy. You want to know why we don't see Jesus turning water into wine? Because we've either bought our wine already or we're real busy trying to figure out how to get our own wine. We're busy doing everything we can to get joy with our own plan. And we don't even think about Jesus. And the reason that he came was to give us that joy. Hey, i got to be careful here. I'm not talking physically with, with, uh, with the, the healing of the father's child. I'm not talking physically. We, we need to pray, and we do pray, for the physical needs of our people. And when somebody's sick, we, we need to boldly pray for them to be healed. The whole point is, think spiritually here. God's not going to heal our children and our families and our own hearts if we have already made the plan that we think we need to make sure we get everything we want. What I do, I talk to... And I've experienced this. Man, if my kids just make good grades, if they get into the right college, if they get a good job and they can make enough money, then they're going to be happy. They might just miss the perfect plan for their life. Let me just move on here. If we don't think we're paralyzed, if we think we're walking just fine, there's no reason for Jesus to fix your legs. Speaking spiritually here, all you people that can see to include me, if we don't think we need Jesus to heal our blindness, then there's only a certain amount of things that we're going to see. Most importantly, we won't need to be raised to new life if we don't understand how dead we might be. You know, I do have to say this, those guys that are busy getting clean so that they can meet God, I mean, that's, think about it. That's what they're doing. They're busy, and, and rightly so. They didn't realize that that's why Jesus came. Think about this in terms of our modern context. I have this quote. I'm not sure where I got this quote. I would like to tell you that I made this quote up, but I'm pretty sure I didn't. If your religion primarily emphasizes personal life change, it sure does make you wonder who you're worshiping. I know a lot of people that are so busy looking inside that they never look to see why Jesus came. What do you do when you see and when you think and when you talk about Jesus? Do you turn in back on yourself or do you look out and see what he came to give? I mean, there's so many practical... 
I don't have time to tell you all the things that Jesus comes to give us, but I can tell you whatever it is that you're working real hard to try to get or whatever it is that you think you need here on this earth right now, Jesus came to give you more than you could ever imagine. You know, you know who's easy to miss here in this passage? I think this is pretty fascinating. The people that are easy to miss are the people who believe. Right? They're just mentioned in the first part of the chapter, or first part of our section. And part of it, it is true. I'm going to manipulate this a little bit for a, for a, a point. Part of it's because of the passage that we have, because the believers are before this passage, and the believers come back after this passage. But I do want you to consider you don't hear much about the believers. What's interesting, and, and Jesus goes away in this passage too, doesn't he? Verse 54, Jesus no longer walks openly but leaves to the wilderness or near the wilderness to Ephraim with his disciples. What I need you to understand is Jesus doesn't leave because he's afraid. He leaves only to come back and boldly, single-mindedly, he goes to the cross to die and to be raised from the dead so that we don't have to be afraid anymore. Because if you believe, if you've trusted in Jesus, you know that he is the place where all these things that we're seeking, we know that they're found only in him. Those who believe, they are with him. They've moved deep inside to all that Jesus provides. And if you're wondering all that Jesus provides, take your bulletin home, go back and read the, the songs that we sang, and you'll get a pretty clear picture of everything that Jesus has come to do. Those who believe, they know it, and they rest in what Jesus provides, and they never again have to be the point of conversation. They never have to be up front. They never have to have everybody thinking or talking about them. They no longer have to take things into their own hands. They never have to worry anymore if they are clean enough. They are just busy living in the Christ, being overshadowed and overpowered by the love of God because they've not only seen Jesus, but they've moved deeper into what he came to to provide, they're hidden in Christ Jesus. And look, the, the last thing that I'm going to say is I'm not telling you that you should always feel this way, that, that I'm in Jesus and I feel good and I've got everything I need. I'm not saying that because there are plenty of days where I don't feel like that. I know there are plenty of days that you don't feel like, and it, feel like that, and it doesn't mean that you're not a, a spiritual saved uh, person. What it does mean is I know that it's true and I'm going to fight for the rest of my life to be swallowed up in all that Jesus provides. That's what a believer does. And that's what a believer will be focused on. Jesus came to give us everything that we need and I'm going to fight for the rest of my life to experience it. And that's what you need to do as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I, one simple prayer, because there's an infinite variety of people that are among us, and you know, you know exactly what they need. You know exactly what I need. And I pray that this morning we would walk out seeing one particular thing that we need and that we'd see it in what Jesus came to bring and that we would experience it so much 
that we'll fight for the rest of our lives to see what else he's got for us. Do that now among your people. In Christ's name, amen.